0: Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. Before it ever entered the world, God had a plan to right what sin would wrong. That plan centered around the sending of His one and only Son, In and through Jesus, God revealed his design for our destiny, if we are willing to see, believe, and receive it. His plan has never been hidden, and in the person of Jesus, we find our example, our access, our hope, and our calling unveiled.
1: Good morning. I'm glad there's seven people in the room as excited as they were on Easter Sunday. It's awesome. Uh, the Sunday after Easter is an interesting one. Just from a preacher's standpoint of, uh, of what to say and what to, what to talk about, but, but it's, it matters. Because the reality is, when Jesus died, the veil was torn and our access to God was no longer limited. Right. When, he, when he died on the cross, our sins were paid for and the sacrifice was made necessary to deal with our sin. When Easter morning came, the empty tomb does not matter. The reality that the king has risen is what changes everything. So the veil is torn. The tomb is empty. The king is risen. But the story's not over. Because, see, some of us, we look at the resurrection, we look at Easter as like the crescendo of Christian faith. And it is. It is a powerfully important moment. But Jesus was not done. That's right. And the story that he has to tell is not over. And I don't know if you know this, but Jesus didn't just rise from the dead and walk around for a day. After he rose from the dead, there were many things that he did. And, and, and it is recorded in Scripture. Grab your Bible. Go to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 3. Acts chapter 1. Pick up with verse 3. If you're ready, you with me? Say amen. Amen. It says, after his suffering, he, Jesus, presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. That It says when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just show up to a handful of people for just a moment or for a day. That over a 40-day period, Jesus showed up. Can you just imagine, you would be somewhere doing your thing, and then Jared, Jesus would be like, whoa, there's Jesus. <laughs> and every time, he's talking about this thing, kingdom of God. And it was a language that Jesus had used many times throughout his life on this planet. But like most things before the empty tomb, and before the resurrection, most of the disciples didn't have a clue what it meant. But there was a lot of stuff that made sense on the other side of the resurrection. Amen. Can you you imagine some of the conversations, and we give the disciples a hard time because we get the benefit of living on this side of it. But there were times when Jesus would say stuff and the disciples would just look around each other like, what is he saying? I mean, even in the upper room, the first time they had communion, the first time Jesus has this Passover meal, he says, this is my body and this is my blood. And they're thinking, that's weird. (laughs) But can you imagine what it must have been like the first time they celebrated that meal together on the other side of the resurrection? Had new meaning, didn't it? Had new meaning. So much of this, but Jesus talking about this kingdom of God, and it was so foreign to what any other kingdom that they had ever known. See, when you said kingdom in their mindset, like imagine us thinking government, maybe that, that they thought kingdom because see they had thought all along that Jesus come into this earth and that the Messiah that God was going to send was to liberate Israel. The nation of Israel had been under Roman oppression for centuries and had gone through all these different things. They thought that Jesus is back from the dead and now he's going to liberate our nation. But Jesus had something so much bigger in mind. A kingdom that would be not of this world but in this world. A kingdom that would be of God and for God and through God. And it wouldn't fly under the, the banner of a flag but under the name of Jesus himself. But they didn't get that. Look at how they even respond to what he just said. Look at verse 6. It says, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you, you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, is that what you mean when you, when you say this kingdom? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So Jesus was back, but he couldn't stay because Jesus had more to do. See, again, we, in Jesus, God was doing so much. It was so much more than we even understand. Jesus, obviously, he, did, he didn't come to, to start a religion. Like we've been, that's the the thing we've talked about throughout this entire series is Jesus did not come to establish a new religion. Jesus came to undo all that religion had done because religion has always been man's attempt to get to God. And in Jesus, God is coming to us. And Jesus had undone all that there was from religion. But now Jesus has, has done all the things on this earth that he would come to do. He came to be that example, to show us the standard. He came to be that substitute and die on the cross for our sins. He came to have victory over death. But it didn't end on Easter. Jesus now has been taken up to heaven with a new assignment. To begin preparing an eternity for all those who would trust him. And he said he would. And someday, Jesus is coming back. Right. And this time, he ain't coming back as a mild mannered son of a carpenter. This is not carpenter son, Jesus. This is riding on a horse, tattoo on his thigh, Jesus. <laughs> that, some of y'all gonna be like, That's, he's got a tattoo, it's Jesus. <laughs> and it's now, he ain't coming for a moment, he's not coming for just 33 years. He's coming to right what sin and Satan has made wrong. To do it once and for all and forever. The enemy will be defeated and will live in glory as God intended it from the beginning. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we have work to do. In the meantime, we have work to do because, you see, before Jesus was caught up in that cloud and left this planet, he gave us our purpose. Jesus, before he left this planet, made sure to give us a clear assignment. And he didn't leave any room for doubt. He clearly laid out the instructions that he had for all those who would call him on his name, for all those who would follow him. He gave us our purpose. I talk to people all the time, like, Matt, I just wanna find my purpose. I just wanna find my purpose. I'm about to give it to you. (laughs) And the reality is, it hadn't been hidden. From the very onset, before Jesus ascended into heaven, between his resurrection and his ascension, he made clear to stand before people and say, All right, I'm going to do all that stuff and I'm gonna be back. But in the meantime, you have an assignment. This is how Matthew records it. Matthew 28, pick up verse 19. It says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And right there, every person who would ever follow Jesus discovered what they're put on this planet to do. You want to know your job? Like, if, if you know Jesus, if you accept Jesus, if you've been changed by Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you've acknowledged what he's done, your purpose is to point other people to him. Stop making it so dang complicated. Stop, stop making it so, so, and, and, that, and that is not an assignment that's reserved for a select few that is not a, an assignment that's given to people that have pastor or doctor or reverend in front of their, their name. That's for every person who calls on the name of Jesus. Your purpose is to point people to Jesus. That's your job. That's your purpose. And for some reason I say that and we don't get excited.
0: Oh, Jesus is for that.
1: Now go tell. Jesus said, um, I'm back, but I can't stay. And your job is to make sure that everything I've said and everything I've, I've done and everything I've men- made known to you, everything I've made known to you, you need to make known to others. That you need to go and carry the message. you got to tell the story, and that's the job of every believer. Every person who calls on his name, like you don't get to, you don't have an escape clause. You don't get to be exempt from that. That is your mission. That is your purpose, and It is constant. It is always who you are. It is not who you are in a moment. It is not who you are for a season. It's who you're supposed to be at all times. And I think we've looked at what Jesus said and we've misunderstood it because he said go, and we've thought destination. Did I make Jesus known when I go on a mission trip, Or when I, we have somehow calendarized our calling? Calendarized. That is a word. Why? I just said it. We have calend- haven't we done that? We've calendarized our calling as if, you know what, we've lived that out when the church says we can. Let me see, on, let me look on the events. Well, I have people all the time is, Pastor Matt, when, when are we going to do some outreach? You should have done it this week. That's right. Because, you know, I think when Jesus said go, I don't think he meant like go as, the, as a destination. I think he meant like as you are going. That's right. As you are going make disciples that means as you're going to work as you're going to the bus stop as you're going from class to class as you're going down the hallways of your home as you're going up the stairs of your office as you're going down the aisles at Walmart (laughs) as you're going on vacation as you're going to play golf as you like as you were going you know where your mission field is everywhere you place your foot Everywhere you place your foot. And that is our purpose. That is our calling. And I know that seems overwhelming to you. Because you look at the mirror and you don't feel like you're one who's qualified. Welcome to the club. Amen, somebody. And by the end of the day, I'm going to show you that it's not about a qualification. It's about the reality of a calling that radically changes your life. And this is not something... That you get to clock in and out of. Anybody ever had a job where you had to clock in and clock out? You go to that little file thing, you pull out a little card. Boom, <laughs> Terrible sound effects. I hope I'm a better preacher than I am a sound effect person. But like sometimes I think like we get to punch in and out of this thing. And you don't. Look at me, you don't. If you claim Jesus, if you claim to follow him, then your, your mission from now until you die or till he returns is to make him known. And, and one reason why I think we shy away from that is because we've, we misunderstand what that means. Because we've looked at the church as the place that's supposed to make him known. And we've gotten that so wrong for so many years. First of all, you do realize, like, Jesus didn't come to start a church. It's just like last week. When I said last week the, the tomb was empty and nothing changed, some of y'all look at me like... Where is this preacher going with this? You do like Jesus, do you realize the word church is actually not even in scripture? Right. It's nowhere in it's nowhere in scripture. The word church is actually a, a, a translation of a German word that would later be put in scripture as it was beginning to be translated, but in the original languages of the scriptures, the word that became and morphed and got hijacked by religion and turned into church was ekklesia which meant a gathering of people. That Jesus didn't want his story to be pushed throughout history by another organized religion. He had saw what that did to what God desired. Y'all with me? What it was, it was a gathering of people that had oftentimes one thing in common, the blood and body of Jesus And they were unified, not under some list of things. They were not unified by by an agreed-upon group of principles. They were unified by a person whose name was Jesus, fully God and fully man, who came and turned this world upside down for God's glory. I'm going to preach today if that's all right with everybody, okay? And that's your job. That's our job. world doesn't need the world doesn't need a church the world needs the body and I don't know that those things are the same anymore now if you say church you mean the real body like we see in scripture that's fine but you know what for me when I think of church I I, I don't think of those things because of my own experience come on I hope I'm not sounding crazy I I told you all about the time where at 14 even though I had grown up And the church, and been associated with Jesus and the things of all that, that I had this moment at those concrete pool house steps at Victory Mountain Camp, that's not far from here, where God began to show me that this thing was not about following a bunch of religious, religious rules. It was about a deep, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. That was when I was 14. When I was 16, I preached my very first sermon, the worst sermon in the history of preaching. It was like seven minutes long. And I don't even have a clue what I said. Probably much like today. And I remember that night, like, God, like, whispering in my spirit that, like, he wanted me to be a pastor. And that is not what I wanted to do. Like, that was actually probably the last thing that I wanted to do for a lot of reasons. And over the next several years, I tried to kind of disconnect myself from God's calling. I, I tried to, I wanted to prove to God that, like, I still loved Jesus, still believed in Jesus, still believed in all that kind of stuff, but, but, like, I didn't, I didn't want to do that, and so I felt the only, to kind of get out of having to do that, I would, I would do something to disqualify myself. So you've heard the story, I, I, I started doing a lot of dumb things, I started dating a girl that was a demon, and I started doing all kinds of crazy things. One day I'm like, she's going to listen to this podcast. We're going to get an email. Um, And that was also in a season where I was old enough, because my dad was a pastor, I was able to see the impact of the church on him. And I know why people stay away from the church. Because I saw it too. I saw the hypocrisy. I saw the self-righteousness. For most, of, for a lot of us, when we hear church, we hear a, a building full of really, really mean, impossible people, and I wanted nothing to do with that. God, I love you, and there for a while, like I was going to church every Sunday because in my house, you went to church. My dad, like, you didn't get a choice. Suppose y'all wake up and you ask your kids if you want to go to church. That's not how I grew up. I'm sorry. You want to go to church? No, get your butt up. Get your... Cl- you are not wearing that. Get your- Get up. I don't want to go. Shut up. Get up and let's go. And I went through the motions during that entire season, and it's just a reminder. God is not impressed that you're here today. Your attendance does not impress God. Because you can sit in this room Sunday in and Sunday out and nothing ever change. I did it for years. And it's not because God wasn't moving there. It's because I wasn't paying attention to Him. God's always moving. God's always moving. So I went back to that same summer camp after I graduated from high school. And the same experience happened. I was sitting in a gathering and... I don't, know what they were, I don't know what songs we were singing. I don't know what the preacher was preaching about. But God moved in my spirit. And I went back to those same steps that i had been sitting at at 14. And by now, I think I was probably 19. And God basically said to me, you can't escape your calling. You can't escape your calling. You can't escape your calling, that this is what I have for your life. And let me tell you something, God has a calling for every person in this room. And you can run from it, and you can try to hide from it, and you can try to send your way out of it, but never does His calling go away. Right. He continues to call and call. And now, we all follow the same person, and we all have the same purpose, but we don't all walk the same path. The path of you fulfilling your purpose may look different than the path of me fulfilling mine. My path led me here. Your path may lead you into a doctor's office, a classroom, a home. Like, like, but you got to understand, my platform is no more valuable than your platform. Every platform is for God's purpose and to be used for his glory. Amen. And somewhere along the way, God stuck me in the book of Acts. I started reading about what the, what the aftermath of the resurrection looked like. When, when this movement that Jesus had begun and now handed over to his disciples began to take off. And it didn't look like what most of church looks like over history. When it's been hijacked by pastors and popes and different organizations and things like that. Like It was this beautifully, organically powerful movement of God. And it began when Jesus gave what he had promised. See, when Jesus ascended in heaven, he had told them, hey, you need to go and stay until I send you what's coming next. The Holy Spirit. And I know some of y'all didn't grow up in church. You start talking about the Holy Spirit, you get a little uneasy. You're thinking, he's talking about the Holy Spirit now. They're bringing out the snakes next. I'm not staying for that. And Because we, we've misunderstood that. But Jesus had said all along, like, I have to go so he can come. Because Jesus inside of you is going to be better than Jesus even beside you. That's right. Like God in you is going to be powerful. Because now everything that's been necessary to remove the thing that stood in the way of Jesus taking up residence in your heart. And turning not a building into a temple. But your heart into a temple. So that Jesus himself resides in your heart. And the Holy Spirit fell. And it moved on them. And our old buddy Peter. Who thought he'd spend the rest of his life. Casting nets from the deck of boats now stands up and preaches the gospel. And this movement that was just, uh, it's funny. They killed Jesus thinking they would stop the movement. Jesus came back and the movement exploded. And the movement goes from just 100, 150 people to one sermon. Now it's over 3,000. And remember, in this day and age, they're they're just counting the men. You're talking about thousands and thousands of people. And when you start leaning into the book of Acts, what you see as to how they propelled this movement forward is so different than what most of us experienced under the thing we've called church. It was so different. And, And what I find in the book of Acts is still what I long for to this day. You do know that's why we call this church vintage church. Why do y'all call that vintage church? Is it like an old timely church? <laughs> Had that asked one morning. The word vintage, if you look it up in the dictionary, means representing the high quality of a pastime. And what I wanted to see embodied in this movement, what I wanted to be us to be known for is not amazing music or awesome lights or all the other, like I wanted us to be known for a body that spreads the message of Jesus with power and consistency. Because when you when you look into the Book of Acts, that's what begins to happen. You see stories like this. Look at go to Acts chapter three. It says one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was carried into the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. See, stop right there for a second. That's how ministry happens. When you see people and you let people see you. That might seem really simple. Because you're like, no, ministry happens when we have a good plan and we go out strategically to do really cool things. No, when when you're... See... When, if, you're doing, if you're making disciples as you're going, it's not about the destination. It's about the interruption. It's about your openness not to think about where you're going, but as you're going to have an awareness for the people that God strategically puts in your path. Jesus, modeled, You know how many times the coolest things Jesus did was never when he got there. It was on his way there. Go back and look at it. Jesus is going to Jairus' house, and as he's going through this crowd of people, a woman hits the hem of his garment, and uh, an ailment that she had struggled with for 12 years, she's delivered from, and Jesus, guess what he does? Stops. How many of us are willing to just, like, we're we're on our way to work. i got to get to work. My destination is work. And along that way, there's an interruption that God wants to use for you to spread hope and love into the life of somebody needs it. But nope, i got to get to work. Don't bother me. Don't talk to me right now. I ain't even had a cup of coffee yet. So... <laughs> it says, they see him and he sees them. When you see them and they see you, that is the breeding ground for something beautiful to happen. But so often we're not paying attention. Laser focused and head down and pushing through. <laughs> but, like I said, so he's begging for money. But look what happens. It says, then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with the temple and went with them into the temple. Into the courts, temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. See, because if you have been broken your whole life, you ain't walking in the temple. you skipping. Like you hadn't even been at you going straight from, from, from lame to walking and jumping and skipping because something beautiful has just happened in your life. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to, somebody say used to. Used to sit begging at the temple gate called beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And the snooze of this begins to grow, and in verse 4 of Acts chapter 4, it says, many who heard the message believed, and so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So this thing is just growing like crazy, and how is it happening? Because things like this are happening. People are who used to be one way are finding Jesus and now they're not the same as they used to be. People who were used to be a certain in a certain position or a certain place and have been there maybe their whole lives of brokenness and hurt and pain and thought they would be that way their whole lives. What sets them free? Not a list of principles. The person of Jesus. He says, Silver and gold I don't have, but if you'll come to church, we'll see what can happen. Silver and gold I do not have, but here's the Bible. And don't get me wrong, I believe in the Bible. I'm going to talk about it next week. I believe it's power and it is the Word of God. But before even the Word of God can be understood, it has to be filtered through a relationship with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So you start with Jesus. That's how the movement started going. And now all of a sudden, it's not that that Jesus is alive, it's Jesus is alive in people. And people are spreading that news and other people are coming to life. And some of y'all might think, well, if we could see those kinds of things happening now, then maybe the church would, would continue to just keep growing and the movement would grow like it did then. And I would submit to you, it's happening. You're just not seeing it. Right. Last week was a pretty incredible week. All across the board. Some amazing thing happened around our church. Like, like, last, like even this weekend, like our student ministry had one of the, uh, an all-student lock-in and, and just dozens and dozens of kids showed up. Can you show some love to our student team and the power that God's working in there? Last week, like 1,900, almost 2,000 people worshiped with us. And, but, let me, but you know what my favorite moment was of all of last week? It was last Tuesday night. When in Auditorium B, I sat and hung out with our, uh, some folks that come here every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock for something we call Vintage Recovery. Highlight of my week. It was maybe a dozen people or so. But I sat, and see, you think that, that lame people aren't walking. I beg to differ. Because <laughs> see, essentially what just happened, a broken person just found freedom. And Tuesday night, I sat in front of a group of people who are broken but are finding freedom. The miraculous work that is happening among those people and those stories is, to me, more miraculous and powerful than the one I just read. It's one thing to watch somebody physically get healed. But to watch somebody who's emotionally broken become to be made whole only through the power of Jesus, that's something special to witness. And I'm sitting in this, I'm sitting in this room and I'm listening to these stories and you want to talk about power. When you see somebody who's been struggling with addiction begin to find freedom. When you think, see somebody who's been just buried in depression and anxiety finding freedom. When you see somebody who is just riddled with grief beginning to find joy again. That's the power of a gospel-centered community. And no, I'm not, I'm not impressed because those people are perfect because they're not. And I'm not either. And neither are you. It is not the perfection of people that will grow God's church, it is the presence of his power and spirit changing lives moment by moment by moment by moment. It's those stories. See, you know how the movement kept growing? As people kept hearing those stories. There were people that knew this man that Peter and John just healed, and they couldn't believe it. They said, no, you got the wrong guy. (laughs) They even wanted to bring, like, his parents in and his family in and be like, like, "Um, is that really your son or is that just somebody, like, pretending to be your son? Because, like, for 40 years, his whole life, he's had that affliction. And he meets Jesus and he changes. There's some people, that's your story. There's some people that, there's going to be people that go through the waters of baptism tonight that people are going to look at and be like, I can't, I thought, I never thought I'd see him go through those waters. And I just want to remind you that it doesn't mean you have it all figured out. It's not about figuring it out. It's about finding Jesus. And you and I are the ones that Jesus has tapped to tell others about who He is. And if we're going to continue what Jesus started, we've got to do better. We got to do better because we have in our possession the greatest story ever told Jesus is the hope of the world and people aren't coming to him not because of who he is but because of the mistakes we're making and trying to carry out our calling so I've been kind of just looking at my own life and my own ministry. And I don't mean the ministry of me standing on this platform. I mean my ministry every day. And, and has my perspective got you know, I wonder sometimes am I, trying, am I dragging people or am I trying to draw people? And somewhere along, like, that's the way we thought we got people to Jesus is just drag them there. Kicking and screaming by the collar, by the ear, you need Jesus. Come on. And we're even using silly phrases to try to drag them. You better get right or you're going to get left. (laughs) Turn or burn. (laughs) Yeah, that's real appealing. I'm not saying it ain't necessarily true. I'm just saying that's not what we see in the New Testament. They weren't trying to drag people. and you They weren't trying to drag people to church. They weren't trying to drag people into a new religion they were living in such a way that people were drawn because they saw that they had something that made a difference in their lives. Acts chapter 4 verse 13 when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled ordinary men They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. There was something about them that made them realize that these two had obviously been around and with and influenced by Jesus. Like, Jesus' influence over their lives was so apparent. That's what caused them to get questioned. That was what caused them to be brought in and asked about what was going on. Am I living in such a way? That people are so clear that I've been with Jesus. Or there's been times I think that we've, we've done, it's been more about pressure than pointing. That it's about trying to pressure people into changing. Even pressuring people to change before they've met the one who can change them. That was better than y'all just realized, I think. Like, like we're, we're pressuring people. You need to be different. You need to change. You don't, ch- you don't change and then come to Jesus. When you come to Jesus, then you change. Right. Because love changes you. Jesus in you changes you. Jesus will transform you. But stop acting like people. I don't know why we do it. Why do we, have pe- why do we expect people who don't know Jesus to act like people who do? Or why do we expect them to change the only way you can ever change is the Holy Spirit working in you. It's not through your discipline or through your energy. It is through the infusing of the Holy Spirit of God. Hear that. Come on. Some of y'all you're expecting people to change and you just well, when you got enough discipline, you got enough this you get no. It's the Spirit working in us that gives us the strength to change in the ways that we need to change. Right. You cannot do it in and of yourself. Look at Acts chapter four verse twenty. I mean, basically, they're br- they brought in and they ask them. You know, they don't want them to stop doing what they're doing. They want to stop doing it in the name in which they're doing it. And I love it what they say in Acts chapter four verse twenty. He says, "As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard." In other words, they're saying, "You know what? We met Jesus, and it so radically changed our lives. <laughs> we can't shut up about it." Like I'm sorry. Like Jesus has so radically changed our lives. And we're not trying to pressure you into believing like us. But we're going to live in such a way that points to the one who's freed us, saved us, changed us for us. That's what we're going to do. We're going to point people to Jesus. I think that one of the best things that God's taught me so long is it's not our job to pressure people into changing. It's our job to point people towards Jesus who has the power to change everything. And then it starts making me wonder. Is the way I'm living causing people to be more confused or curious, like if people really intimately stare into my life and pay attention to everything I say and everything I do, are they more confused or curious? Are they more confused because they think, he looks, he knows Jesus, yet I don't see anything different about him than I do about me. When you accept Jesus, you're no better than anybody else, but you are different you are different you're not better but you will be different not in the perfection of your behavior like it, he says he knows Jesus he says he has hope in Christ but he worries just as much as I do he loses his temper just as much as I do he speaks to his kids just as poorly as I do he mistreats his wife just as much as I do like I'm confused you say you know Jesus but there's no difference but I live in such a way that people are curious. That they look at me and say, he has all the same problems I have. But there's something different about the way he travels through this world. That's, good. That's, good. That's, it. That's at the heart of what Peter was saying in 1 Peter chapter 3. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to explain the Trinity. You're like that's not what it says in my Bible. Mine either. Anyone always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. You know what's interesting about that verse? No one's ever going to ask you about the hope you have if you don't live in a way that's hopeful. that's predicated. Like if somebody's going to ask you, why do you have so much hope? Then that's going to be because you're living in a way that says, I have hope. And it gives you the chance. I, I have hope not because I've got it figured out. I have hope not because I've got all the answers. I have hope not because I'm mistake free in everything I do. I, I'm not, I don't have hope just because I go to church. I have hope because I know the only one who has the power to distribute it to every human on the planet. And his name is Jesus. And see somewhere along the way we think that like we don't want to step into this calling because I haven't perfected my behavior yet. I don't know that I always walk like a Christian and talk like a Christian, but you need to know something, you cannot impress people with perfect behavior, but you can inspire people with a persistent hope. Jesus as a part of his ministry said that he was the light of the world. That you don't have to live this world in the shadows of fear and anxiety and depression and addiction and all these other things that keep us there that because of who he is he is the light and his light is drawing you out of those dark places but he also said that you are the light of the world because now that you've accepted him the light of the world has now taken over your body and your spirit and your mind and your mouth and you are to be a reflection of his light into this world But here's the thing, for you to reflect Him well, you have to stay in the light. You have to absorb the light. Glow-in-the-dark things, they they just fascinate me. On this stage right here, you you guys can't probably see it, but there's little strips of glow-in-the-dark tape. And it's to make sure that when our band and musicians come out, that they don't get lost and wander off. Because they are musicians, after all. And... (laughs) they know to come to their spot but here's the thing what you'll notice about these little strips is during the week when the lights are off in this building like you you can barely see them if at all but when you hold the light over them for an extended period of time then the light goes out they shine bright see for you to glow in the dark you have to constantly expose yourself to the light And if you're going to go out there and be the light to this dark world that it needs you to be, then you don't just step into the light. You stay in it. it Father, I pray that right now that you would move so deeply in our spirits, that you would help us to realize now more than ever the purpose that you have put in us, God, that we are not just to celebrate your resurrection, that we have more than just a celebration that needs to happen. We have a calling to live every moment reflecting the power and beauty of your story and we can't do that if we don't constantly let ourselves absorb the light of who you are so that we walk out of here living in that hope that is going to draw this world to it like moths to a flame so God help us to step out of the darkness and into the light and allow you to move into our spirits God and as we worship you right now this is that moment God this is that time where we absorb more so that when we leave this place we're ready to shine bright so god in this moment may we worship you in a way that causes us to absorb more hope more strength more power more of your spirit in jesus name amen stand and worship with us
0: thanks for listening to the vintage church podcast to stay connected with what's happening at vintage download the vintage church app to access sermon notes events devotionals previous podcasts and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.